The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. All financial advice provided on this show is for entertainment and educational purposes only. The financial ideas and strategies discussed are only provided as a starting point for a conversation about money matters. With regard to your particular investments and financial strategies, consult your financial planner, CPA, or investment professional. All your financial decisions are yours and yours alone to make and subsequently are solely your responsibility. The information that is supplied through the context of the radio program and any repurposing of its content by the host or network is a combination and collection of solid financial investment understanding, opinion, and comments. This network, show, and its hosts are not liable for financial strategies, outcomes that you employ in any manner that result in any kind of loss. Shares of corporate sponsors may be the subject of buy or sell recommendations in Jay Taylor's newsletter in accordance with Jay's objective opinion. Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. This hour will help investors fix issues and achieve personal gain. Now, here's your host, Jay Taylor. Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor, and I'm also the author of a newsletter called Jay Taylor's Gold, Energy, and Tech Stocks, and my company, Taylor Hard Money Advisors, is in partnership with Chen Lin, who publishes an excellent newsletter called What is Chen Buying? What is Chen Selling? New subscribers uh, are not being accepted at the present time. However, you can put your name on a waiting list. And then uh, as attrition occurs, uh, Chen will be taking new subscribers into uh, into his service at the start of April, over the first 10 days of April. Uh, those that are on the list will be chosen in the order uh, that they signed up uh, to become subscribers to what is Chen buying, what is Chen uh, selling. You can, however... Uh, Subscribe to my newsletter, Jay Taylor's Gold Energy and Tech Stocks, uh, anytime you like by going to miningstocks.com, miningstocks.com, and um, there you can also benefit indirectly, at least in part, uh, with uh, some of Chen's ideas because many of Chen's ideas are uh, are ideas that I believe in as well, and in certain cases, put them into my newsletter. My newsletter, however, is more. Uh, not so much trade orientated as Chen's is. Chen is much more of a trader. I'm uh, take a little more of a long term view of things, and sometimes in down markets like this one, that's a pretty painful position to take. However, uh, if you focus on value and survivability, those are things I think matter for the longer term. term uh, for the longer term, and if you are uh, positioned well uh, and buy at a price that isn't uh, uh, too over. Uh, at two overvalued uh, levels, then I think you can make a lot of money uh, with the more longer-term uh, perspective. But Chen has done an extremely good job and uh, a very popular newsletter. So if you are interested, uh, you can go to uh, the best place actually to go to for all of my work is jtaylormedia. That's jaytaylormedia.com. And there you can track, uh, you can access Chen Lin and sign up for Chen Lin uh, through the Mining Stocks connection there. But you can also uh, sign up for my newsletter. You can also keep track of what's going on in this radio show and also who some of our guests 
or who our next week's guests are going to be on a regular basis. We also have, uh, I think, a very a lot of very interesting articles up there uh, on our website that uh, I think make this a, a very interesting site, as well as keeping track of some of the major commodity and precious metals markets. Uh, for example, we have the U.S. dollar, gold, silver, platinum, palladium, uh, copper. We we look at lead and zinc, and also. Uh, at uh, Brent crude and WTI crude oil. Those are all charts that are there. Um, I wrote an article this weekend in my newsletter that's posted there called The Canary in the American Economic Coal Mine. And uh, in that uh, article, I'm very concerned about the deception uh, that the government is giving the American public about the uh, about the health of the American economy. If you really look at some of the inflation numbers, uh, if we if they've measured inflation as it did in the old days, it is much much higher than the 1.7 percent the government claims it is. Uh, and also, if the government measured unemployment the same way they did in the 1930s. Uh, it would be much, much higher and really, frankly, akin to what it was in the 1930s. So my, uh, my view is that the uh, American economic uh, situation is much more dire than what is being put out there by the public. Uh, and uh, if you start to factor in higher inflation rates, much higher than what the government is suggesting it is, then we are in. Uh, we have never bounced back from the bottom of Lehman Brothers uh, to any great extent. And uh, disposable income for average people is down, way down from what they are accustomed to a few years back before Lehman Brothers. That, in my view, is part of the reason that the junior exploration stocks are so depressed. I think, in general, that we are, as David Stockman said, and we reported on this show, the uh, the policymakers, and starting with Ben Bernanke, are in the process of destroying capitalism from the inside out. They're doing that by, uh, really, by not allowing the markets to price capital where it would like to price it. Uh, so interest rates are shoved way down, way down below anything that makes any sense. Even if you use the government's numbers, it's a negative interest rate that's being paid to people. And so people that have saved their money and acted frugally and responsibly through their lives are being penalized. Uh, and those that have acted irresponsibly and have not saved are being uh, rewarded. And so this is exactly, in my view, the exact opposite of what we should have in our economy to make um, to make us grow and thrive in the longer term. Of course, shorter term, uh, to go back to free market economics, cold turkey would be very, very painful, which is why the politicians, of course, po- uh, postpone uh, and kick the can down the road. Well, I do want to thank our sponsors for making this show economically viable. For the first hour of today's show, our sponsors are Brazil Resources, Eurasian Minerals, Dynacor Gold Mines, Golden Arrow Resource Corporation, Miranda Gold, Paramount Gold, and Silver Corp. Uh, precipitate gold and renaissance gold and i do want to thank each of you uh, for listening to this show making it the number one show on the voice america business channel uh, we uh, just like to mention a little bit some of the important news events that come through for our sponsors. Brazil Resources just recently reported uh, a resource on its Cachajera project in Brazil, uh, an indicated resource of 786,737 ounces of gold. Uh, that stock is trading at $1.08 today. Uh, we've had... Um, Eurasian Minerals, who I'm going to be talking to David Cole a little later, well, just a few minutes actually after the first break, uh, they've reported some very interesting, I think very exciting drill intercepts in uh, on one of their projects in Turkey. A lot 
of very exciting things going on at Eurasian Minerals. But of course, it doesn't matter much in this market how good the news is. Eurasian Minerals is selling at a dollar ninety-five today. Uh, another company uh, that I visited, I just came back from the uh, from the. Uh, uh, the PDAC, uh, that's a prospector's development uh, conference up in Toronto. And there I met up with uh, the new CEO of Golden Arrow Resources, uh, Carlos uh, Fernando, Fernandez Maz, uh, Mazi. And, um, well, he's an extremely impressive gentleman, uh, had been working uh, with President Clinton uh, and some other people in uh, develop, helping uh, third world countries develop uh, economically, uh, and he has come on to take uh, to work with Golden Arrow to head up Golden Arrow Resources. A really nice gentleman with great connections, uh, good connections in Latin America, and speaks English very very fluently, uh, and I think is going to be a major asset to Golden Arrow Resources uh, Corporation as they go forward uh, with uh, with their silver project, which is looking better all the time. We'll be talking to Carlos sometime in the near future. Paramount Gold and Silver also uh, announced uh, a new uh, economic study from their Mexican project. It was very strong, and I would encourage you to check that out, Paramount Gold and Silver. Um, all of these companies, their share prices are down, and it's not for any fault of their own other than uh, the economic picture, which I believe, because capital is being uh, is re- really being wiped out, it's really hurting a lot of these uh, smaller companies. But these are the real wealth creators. This industry, the mining industry, is the real wealth-creating industry, uh, one of them, along with other natural resource producers and manufacturers. These are the companies that you really need to have uh, to build an economy around, and I think we're, we're going to have to have a revitalization of some of these major um, wealth-building industries if America is ever to come back to anything like we've had in the past. Uh, I should mention, I, I did mention, in fact, just now that I came back from the uh, Toronto, uh, the, the PDAC, uh, and uh, Eric Coffin wrote some very interesting notes that he sent out to his uh, subscribers, and I'm hoping to have Eric on my show sometime soon. I think he's one of the best newsletter writers out there that covers the exploration sector. Uh, and Eric is a friend of mine and somebody I think is really worth listening to and worth subscribing to his service. Uh, but he just mentioned that uh, this year, from his understanding, is that there was a huge turnover of uh, booth space in at the PDAC. And why is that important? Well, the PDAC is the world's largest exploration development conference. And companies that don't keep their booth positions tend, uh, you know, are in danger of losing them. Well, they won't. They will lose them if they don't keep them. If they drop out, they have to go to the back of the line. Uh, much as people who don't renew Chen's uh, subscriptions go to the back of the line on the waiting list. Well, this is this means that companies can't get into the uh, to to the PDAC, which is very devastating because this is the one show that junior exploration companies want to be at. And so the very fact that a lot of them dropped out this year, uh, he is suggesting is, uh, you know, suggests to, to Eric, and I would agree, that it means that there's a lot of companies that are in big trouble. We're going to see a major decline in the number of these exploration companies that are out there. I have no doubt about that. And I'm looking at the Toronto uh, Exchange Gold Share Index and we're looking at a decline. Well, it recently broke what I thought was a key technical level of 280. It's down around 246 today. That's a 44% drop from its high in 2011. 
Uh, and we could be heading much lower the way it looks to me before we start to see a turnaround. What is really important then, I think, in this whole message is survivability. We need to find companies that can survive. Um, and, uh, and with regard to that, we're going to be talking to Dave Cole in just a few minutes. Dave, uh, is the president of uh, Eurasian Minerals, a, proje- a prospect generator company, which the prospect generators, uh, and uh, new producing gold mining companies uh, are among my favorites because these companies can survive this very difficult time that we have ahead of us. Uh, and Eurasian Minerals is definitely one of my favorites. So we're going to be talking to uh, we're, we're going to be talking to David Cole in just a few minutes as soon as we go to break here. Uh, now, as far as today's show goes, uh, I, I've titled it uh, "How to Survive the U.S. Government's Ponzi Scheme," and Gene Epstein is going to be with me at about half past the hour here uh, to talk about uh, some of his articles that he's ri- recently written in Barron's. Uh, one of them was titled "One of the Costliest Ponzi Schemes Ever," illustrating how the United States Social Security system is nothing but that—one big Ponzi scheme. Uh, and uh, so he's going to be there to talk about, uh, Gene's going to join me to talk about that. We're going to talk to him about several other things as well, other articles that he's recently written, uh, and uh, hopefully uh, also talk to him about uh, a book review or two that he's also written about recently. But um, he has also written a book, uh, written a, uh, a, an article uh, talking about the next stop, Greece, and he's been uh, really been criticized by uh, various people, uh, including um, uh, that very famous New York Times columnist on the left side of the political spectrum. Uh, but we're going to talk to Gene. And then later, Rick Rule is going to be with us. So if you really want to know how to survive, I mean, this is the kind of market that Rick Rule gets really excited about. He loves these kind of blood-in-the-streets markets. And Rick, of course, uh, being the trader that he is, has managed to uh, keep some dry powder to keep some money on the side for just these kinds of uh, circumstances, these kinds of markets. And uh, buying value at uh, ridiculously low prices, of course, you reduce your risk uh, and you uh, and you enhance the uh, upside very dramatically if you buy value at uh, very reduced prices. So we're going to be talking to Rick Rule in the second hour of today's show. And also uh, coming by, I'm going to be talking to John Burgess of Northern Freegold. You know, Northern Freegold just put out its preliminary economic assessment, uh, and it's, uh, the, the stock actually fell. It was an excellent economic appraisal of that company's uh, Yukon project that has nearly uh, 6 million gold equivalent ounces, but selling it a mere 3% of that present value, 10% discounted present value of the project. It just shows how depressed this sector is right now at this point in time. And uh, also, I guess, really shows why the likes of Rick Rule uh, get very, very excited about these kind of markets. Well, we um, we are going to be talking to David Cole, hopefully, uh, as soon as we uh, come back from our commercial break. So don't go away. We'll be right back with uh, the President and CEO of Eurasian Minerals, David Cole. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. Investors deserve to start seeing greater returns, period. 
Creating shareholder value requires vision and a disciplined, fiscally responsible style. At Dynacor Gold Mines, we are proving how to fuel growth without shareholder dilution. Cash flow and liquidity levels are as robust as the company has seen throughout its history. Dynacor is a low-risk public company generating actual profits coupled with real shareholder value. Learn more at DynacorGold.com or follow us on Twitter at DynacorGold. Windfall profits happen frequently in gold exploration stocks, but the risk of losses are also common. Miranda Gold enhances prospects of shareholder gains by combining the intellectual capital of geologists, mine finders Ken Cunningham and Joe Herbert with other people's hard dollars in search for elephant-sized gold deposits in politically safe places like Nevada and Columbia. That keeps shareholder dilution to a minimum, so when discoveries are made, major gains are possible. For more, go to MirandaGold.com. Precipitate Gold is focused on exploring and developing its gold properties in the Dominican Republic in Mexico. Precipitate's management team has been responsible for numerous takeovers, with valuations exceeding $280 million. With a successful team and a growing portfolio of quality gold assets, including an attractive concession adjacent to GoldQuest's holdings in the Dominican Republic, the company is well-positioned for growth in 2013. For more information, please visit www.precipitategold.com. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. You're listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number four, taylor at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. And this is what happens when you do live radio. Many times people uh, don't show up for one reason or another. Actually, uh, uh, my wife and I ran into David Cole yesterday in Toronto uh, at the uh, PDAC conference, and uh, there was some uncertainty uh, on his part and my part, actually. I wasn't remembering if we were having him on this week or next week, uh, but we did uh, talk to his people earlier today, and uh, we thought David was going to be with us. He's not, uh, but um, it, he may come on before Gene Epstein joins us, but if he doesn't, uh, I'd like to just chat with you a little bit about um, inflation and deflation. Uh, very interesting. You know, it is a preoccupation of mine, I must admit. And next week, I'm going to have David Tice on this show, and it is one of the uh, various topics that I'll be talking to David about. David told me he's pretty much about 70-30, 70% in the inflation camp and about 30% in the deflation camp. Uh, and I've just picked up uh, one of my favorite newsletters by Richard Mayberry that's called the U.S. and World Early Warning Report, and we've had Richard on this show in the past. Richard believes that we are right at that inflection point now where we are switching over to uh, to a hyper to an inflationary problem, uh, and he he believes this is true because he sees the uh, velocity, that uh, is the turnover of money starting to pick up. I am uh, per, per, uh, frankly not quite convinced as Richard is that that's the case, and I was uh, just mentioned some of the numbers that I talked about in Toronto in my in my speech uh, when I talked about uh, the. Um, 
the the velocity of money and the velocity according to John Williams numbers are certainly not that uh, that great uh, we're still uh not turning the money over very rapidly and uh, so uh but let's say Richard's right and what he says is you got two things going on here one is 85 billion dollars of new money going into the system every um, every every month from the Federal Reserve, creating 85 billion out of nothing, buying U.S. Treasuries and uh, and uh, also mortgage-backed securities, and uh, so you have that huge stimulus going in. And, and Richard points out, rightly so, that when you get a, a, a turnover, uh, an increase in the velocity combined with that high-powered money that's pumped into the system, it is a recipe for uh, hyperinflation. And Richard. Uh, has bumped up his estimated world velocity, uh, dollar velocity considerably. And, you know, he points out that the rest of the world is ahead of the United States. The United States uh, and the folks in the U.S., of course, are constantly bombarded with the propaganda that comes out of Washington and Wall Street uh, that things are really quite good and you should have confidence in the dollar. The gold uh, gets bashed, and I'm just looking at gold, uh, has been is down around 15, uh, 1576 today. Gold is way down off its highs, and it's gone nowhere for a couple of years. So people are starting to think, well, yeah, maybe the dollar is the place to be. The dollar has shown some strength recently, and uh, and so therefore, you know, every the confidence in the United States dollar is is higher than it was. Uh, and but but the way I'm looking at it is, it's very possible uh, that we could go still in the other direction, as Robert Prechter would predict. We looking at uh, when I look at the numbers that came out of. Uh, Williams statistics. Uh, it certainly is. Um, uh, it, it certainly is not one that I, that I believe pretends for higher inflation. Uh, just to give you some examples, uh, if we looked at inflation along the lines that the, um, if we looked at inflation that was akin to what we had, uh, uh, if we measured inflation, I should say, and I've been a little disturbed here by. Somebody trying to get my attention, but if we um, if we if we measured it, uh, inflation the way we did prior to 1980, uh, Williams numbers suggest that we're closer to eight or nine percent, not the 1.7 percent that the U.S. Uh, is suggesting. Uh, and uh, and if you then take the kind of inflation rates that are much higher than they have been for some time, you take those inflation rates, um, and you take those inflation rates, and you um, and you adjust GDP for those inflation rates, and you adjust wages for those inflation rates, you'll find that the actual disposable income of the vast majority of Americans is shrinking, and it has never come back from the bottom after after the Lehman Brothers' decline. Meantime, of course, Wall Street has, has loads of money to play with, and they're speculating and driving inflation. Uh, commodity prices higher which uh, is really counterproductive. If the real goal of the Federal Reserve was to try to, uh, to uh, if the real goal of the Federal Reserve was to try to boost uh, the economic growth in the United States, uh, then I think it's, it's certainly failing in that regard. Of course, there are those that we've had on this show, like G. Edward Griffin, who believes that the real goal of the Federal Reserve is nothing uh, what is stated, that is to uh, stimulate growth and to reduce and to uh, have uh, non-inflationary growth, but in fact, uh, the real reason is to protect the banks, and of course, we've seen that happen uh, very considerably uh, during after the Lehman Brothers' decline. Um, 
Still no call from uh, David Cole, although I was told that uh, he was going to call in. I'm not sure. Uh, we hardly have enough time to talk to David le- yet uh, today. But but going on with respect to this issue, uh, and uh, these are some of the remarks that I made in my talk in uh, in Toronto. We have this huge amount of money that's being pumped into the system, into the uh, into the um, into the monetary system by the Fed. And this is just a hockey stick chart that shows huge amounts of money. And yet, it is not getting uh, spent. Yeah, we see a little bit of a decline in the reserves, the excess reserves, but not much. So, you know, that would go along with Richard Mayberry's idea that that uh, velocity is turning over, but not much if you look at it compared to historical norms. Uh, it's very minuscule. And uh, John Williams' numbers that showing velocity turned up a slight amount since 2009, but way, way down from anything that we've seen in the past. So, you know, I think it's all relative, and whether or not we're at that inflection point remains to be seen that uh, Richard Mayberry is talking about. Richard may very well be right. Uh, but we look at, uh, at loans to consumers. Well, if you take out the government program of lending to students, uh, the uh, consumer um, credit outstanding is still way, way down. It's way down from its peak in 2008, 2009, um, you know, down by 20, 25%. Uh, commercial paper markets never did come back from their bottoms. They never did come back. Uh, you know, the commercial paper market, which is corporations lending to one another with their excess cash, uh, basically was destroyed during 2008, 2009, and has never come back. Um, and we do see an increase in the housing market for sure. But if you look at the new housing starts, uh, we've gotten back to just about where we were at previous lows in, in other recessions after a long period of uh, bottom fishing here uh, for housing starts. So the U.S. economy, I believe, is not nearly as good as most people, as, as the mainstream is trying to tell us it is. Construction spending is still way down, way, way down. Uh, and unemployment, really, if, if we looked at unemployment and compared it as we did in the 1930s, we would be looking, according to John Williams' numbers, at something in the 22-23% range. And, um, you know, this is, not, uh, this, is, this is not a healthy situation, to say the least. If we look at the government's headline numbers, you know, we're looking at, what, 8 9%, 7%, 8%. Uh, uh, but if we look at the, the broadest measure of the government's numbers, U6, it puts us up around 15%, just slightly under that, uh, which is a huge amount of unemployment. Uh, but if we looked at, uh, as we did in the 1930s, able-bodied people, uh, able-bodied men uh, in the workforce, then we're looking at numbers that are in the mid-20% range, which is very much, uh, uh, which is very much where we were before. Um, uh, which we were in the 1930s, I should say. So uh, my view is that uh, that we've had a big lie to- that we ha- that we're having big lies told to us. One is in the inflation numbers uh, that are really stripping average people of their disposable income to a much greater extent than the 1.7 percent the government reports. Uh, yes, there's been you know advances made in technology. Uh, that's good probably for productivity in terms of uh, producer price uh, costs. Uh, and uh, we've seen uh, – but the whole idea of substitution, substituting hamburger for steak when things aren't going the right way to make the numbers look better I think is uh, is um, disingenuous to say the least. But more importantly, 
uh, what I pointed out in my talk in Toronto is that if you look at the numbers of consumer confidence, uh, and you look at a chart of consumer confidence, the Michigan survey or the other one uh, that's out there, they look very much like uh, John Williams' adjusted um, disposable income numbers. And it, tell, it suggests to me uh, that the canary in the coal mine, uh, that there's two of them. One is uh, inflationary numbers that are being reported as well as uh, unemployment numbers that are being reported. And both of those numbers, if they're off uh, as much as Williams suggests they are, then uh, then the picture is not nearly as good as what the government is trying to tell us it is. In fact, if we look at a corrected real GDP for John Williams' numbers, we've never come off the bottom from the Lehman Brothers' uh, decline, or if we have, it's very, very slightly. Look at real average weekly wages, and they are just going running off the table uh, to the downside if you use Williams' numbers and and again as i say when you start to look at some of these charts of the adjusted inflation adjusted numbers that williams has it looks just like very very close to what the consumer confidence numbers are looking like so i'm telling you what i believe is that the consumers are are speaking uh, and are telling us what the story is really because they're you know they don't have confidence in the economy because they can't they can't produce, they can't provide the needs for their families and the living, uh, standard of living or the, co- the sort of just the basic living needs that, uh, that they need to finance on a regular basis. Well, unfortunately, um, uh, we, we just don't have enough time. We're not going to have enough time to talk to David Cole. We'll have to have him back another time. And I really can sympathize with him. He's up there in Toronto and he must have, uh, dozens of people that are tugging at him, uh, trying to get a, a piece of his time. Uh, and uh, we should have probably scheduled him a time other than the PDAC, but that's the way it was done. But we'll definitely want to have him on again sometime in the near future because I really do love this company. Eurasian Minerals is definitely one of my favorites for reasons that I'll be glad to talk about and do talk about in my newsletter on a regular basis. Uh, but they have some very exciting things going on in Turkey, and I would just suggest that in the meantime, uh, you take a look at this company's website, Eurasian Minerals, um, this is EurasianMinerals.com, I believe, but, but Google them and find them and check out what they've got because in Turkey, I think you're going to find uh, some of the projects, uh, one in particular that's doing extremely well, some very, very interesting and exciting uh, intersections that I had wanted to talk to David about. We'll have to wait another time for that. We are going to be going to a commercial break very shortly, and uh, when we come back, uh, I am going to talk uh, to Gene Epstein, who I understand is with me today, and uh, Gene... Uh, Gene will, um, Gene will be with me. Uh, we are, so we're going to go to commercial break now. And when we do, um, Gene Epstein will be back with me and we will talk to him about, uh, his views on the economy and, uh, on austerity and other issues. Don't go away. We'll be right back with Gene Epstein. business community's first choice in internet talk radio voice america business network 
Attention mining investors. Brazil Resources Incorporated trading as BRIZF on the OTC and BRI on the TSXV is exploring and developing five gold projects in Brazil surrounded by expanding gold mines and deposits. It's acquiring a nearly 700,000 ounce gold resource. BRI has top geologists earlier involved in discovering 10 million ounces of gold in Brazil led by recognized mining executive Admir Adnani, chairman. Check out Brazil Resources com or call 1-855-630-1001. That's 1-855-630-1001. Golden Arrow Resources on the TSX Exchange has recently made a new silver discovery and is presently drilling a 6,500-meter program on that discovery. A maiden resource calculation is expected to be released in April of this year. The project is located in Jujuy Province in northern Argentina, just 30 kilometers from the Perquitas Mine, operated by Silver Standard. Golden Arrow has an experienced team with decades of experience in Argentina. Golden Arrow offers shareholders exceptional leverage with an exciting new silver discovery. Whether the market's up or down, or if you're looking to improve your portfolio, our experts are ready to talk to you. Call now, toll free, 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. Listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1 866 472 5790. That's 1 866 472 5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number 4, Taylor at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor. Well, uh, my apologies. Uh, we have some slip-up here in the office uh, with respect to David Cole. We do hope to have him on sometime soon, but we are, in any event, very happy to say that Gene Epstein is with us once again. And uh, for those of you, Gene's a regular guest on this show. Uh, his full bio is available on our website at jtaylormedia.com. And so I would suggest you go there. And uh, But most of you should know Gene Epstein uh, as a uh, as a writer, longtime writer at Barron's. Welcome, Gene. Good to have you back. Good to be back. Uh, I want to really focus on on several things, uh, but I guess you know, first things first, we want to talk about New York City Junto. Mm-hmm. Uh, talk to us about uh, about your program, the program that's coming up this Thursday. Mm-hmm. Gene, who do you well, have on? Again, Junto meets uh, always uh, the first Thursday of each month uh, in Midtown at 20 West 44th Street. And uh, we're having quite a lineup over the next few months. Uh, this coming Thursday, we're having uh, Cato Institute Senior Fellow Breek Lindsay, uh, who's going to do a talk based on uh, writings that he's done. Uh, the talk will be called The Folly of Nostalgia Nomics, a term uh, that Brink coined. He was mostly inspired by Paul Krugman's follies about this, uh, but in fact, it's not just Krugman. There are other uh, left-leaning people who are now uh, telling us, even though they wouldn't have said that at the time, telling us that the 25 years following 
World War II um, was uh, the time that the U.S. economy got it right. Uh, unions were strong and uh, growth was strong, and that why don't we just go back uh, to that period following World War II, uh, that nostalgic time when, in fact, there were many more people in poverty, uh, when uh, there was racism, sexism, all kinds of bad stuff, yeah. but they are suddenly beating the drum for that nostalgic <laughs> time. And uh, Brink is going to do a pretty learned discussion about what it was really about and whether we really want to go back uh, to the folly of nostalgonomics. Well, Gene, your discussions at Junto are always very informed. Uh, you, you have some excellent guests there for sure. Uh, and what is really interesting about it is that you open it up and let people interact with that, uh, uh, with the, with the guest speaker. And, uh, so there's, you know, and I might also add that there are a lot of people, I would say the people that attend the Junto, generally speaking, are well-educated people who really do uh, interact well and provide some challenges sometimes to the views of the speaker, which is really healthy to have a healthy debate well, about you. things. Absolutely, and I owe a lot of that, by the way, to the uh, to the inspiration of uh, uh, Vic Niederhofer, uh, the uh, legendary hedge fund manager who pays for it and who started it 30 years ago. And uh, indeed, it it's a bit of a marathon session. Uh, the uh, the speaker goes on at eight and usually continues until 10 o'clock, and uh, most everyone in the hall has had his say. There have been uh, useful exchanges. So it's a, it's a very different event from the sort of uh, event where people speak for about 40 minutes and have 10 minutes of questions and that's it. It's a really interactive event and uh, I'm very proud of it. Well, you should be and I, I, I must say that I really, really enjoyed the event. Uh, an incident that took place there with uh, Victor challenging some of your ideas. I think yeah. what I really love about it, Gene, is the spirit of, uh, of, of cooperation. That is, you know, it's, it's always a, a friendly uh, debate and it's not you know, it's, it doesn't become venomous. It's, it's kept very... It's only Vic, Vic and I engage in occasional character assassination. But that's <laughs> because we, we fundamentally respect each other, and people uh, sometimes enjoy the way we trade occasional insults. Well, if you're shooting at each other, it's with nothing more than water pistols, I must say. That's it's right. just a... It's, it, and, it's, and it's... I think it's very healthy, because to have debates... I mean, for example, Gene, you know that one of the issues that, I, that, is, that I'm talking about on this show from time to time is the issue of global warming. And thank you very much for introducing me uh, to some thoughts on the warming side of that issue. And I just think it's a great idea to have these controversial issues aired and discussed rather than people hanging on to their own views without an open mind. So I think that's what Junto is very, very... And of course, it is focused mostly on economics, isn't it? Well, uh, we did a little... Uh, it was economics slash politics uh, a month ago with Ivan Eland, who's mm -hmm. uh, a, a policy, foreign policy analyst talking about no war for oil. Um, in May, we're going to have uh, Judge Andrew Napolitano, um, who had a show called Freedom Watch. And in June, uh, we're having uh, John Mackey of Whole Foods, uh, of course, that's business economics, conscious capitalism. Uh, in most, more sooner in in April, we're having Matt Welch, uh, the editor of Reason Magazine. Uh, wow, we're talk, talking mainly about politics, actually. So uh, it's a mixture. Wow, well, I, I tell you, that's a really impressive guest. I'm really looking forward to Napolitano. I think he's just outstanding as a libertarian, as a free market uh, lover of liberty. So mm -hmm. congratulations on that, Gene. You're you're doing a great job of bringing some really marquee speakers to the, uh, to the to this event. So again, folks, it's at 20 West 44th Street. That's between 5th and 6th Avenues, and it's free. 
It's free. It costs nothing to go there. It's in the evening. Uh, the, uh, the meeting starts at 7.30. Uh, mm-hmm. Try to arrive at 7, and uh, you'll get a good seat. Well, I know, Gene, that one person who is going to show up there is one of the producers of David Tice's new film uh, that you were actually oh. interviewed in, and I've seen the trailer to this film. And, folks, uh-huh. you can go to jtaylormedia.com, jaytaylormedia.com, and click on the uh, – it's called The Bubble – Mm-hmm. Uh, the bubble is the name mm-hmm. of the uh, the film, mm-hmm. and you can click on there, and it's uh, the image is one of um, President Obama and President Bush uh, in one face combined. Uh, the bubble. If you click on it, there is an excellent trailer, and you'll see Gene Epstein, my guest here, is one of uh, mm-hmm. a number of very prestigious guests, including Ron Paul, and well, actually, most of the people we've had on this show. Um, uh, you know, some of the better-known people, uh, like um, well, we've had you know on this show recently. David Tice is going to be on mm-hmm. next week, by the way, on this show, but but other people too, uh, like Peter. Um, well, any any number of uh, Rick Rule. Uh, I'm trying to think of the whole host. Go to go to bubble. Uh, go to the bubble. Jay Taylor Media and see this trailer. Gene, it's a very important movie, and I guess we'll talk to you more about that as the movie gets ready to air. But uh, I, I think I'm looking it's, forward to seeing it myself. I haven't yeah. seen it, and well, you know, I, I'm forgetting Peter's last name myself. He wrote he wrote a very good book that I read. Well, we had Jimmy Rogers is one of them. He um, and uh, and Peter's and Peter who's last name uh, it, uh, Schiff. It Peter Schiff. Plus, Peter Schiff, of course. Peter yes. Schiff. Yes. And uh, all I really would need to do is go to. Uh, Go to my uh, the website, the Bubble website. Doug Casey, here they are. Uh, Jim Rogers, Peter Schiff, uh, Ron Paul, Jim Grant, Mark Faber, Gene Epstein. Those are the guys that I've had on the show. Virtually all of those people, and uh, I have to accept myself because I miss certain aspects. Virtually all of those people were quite prescient about the housing bubble and laughed at at the time. Uh, perhaps the earliest uh, one who forecast where we were going was indeed was in fact uh, Ron Paul. Who's mm-hmm. giving out warnings uh, quite a while back, and uh, uh, and nobody was listening to him. Nope. Anyway. Yeah. Yeah. Nobody paid too much attention to him and a host of others. Yeah. Uh, David Tice, uh, who uh, you know, who's uh, behind the movie uh, financially at least. I know that uh, he stepped away from the Prudent Bear Fund when he sold it. But David was on CNBC frequently, warning people of uh, of the problems that were to come. And what he's hoping to do with this with this movie is to tell people, look, it's not over yet. We still have a lot of things to worry about. And I think that uh, that you are you are in agreement with that, Gene. Absolutely. Um, I, uh, I see all kinds of risks over the next 10 years. Um, I recently uh, did uh, perhaps uh, the easiest story of all, the easiest call of all, which is uh, that uh, we're headed uh, for real trouble over the next uh, 20 years uh, as the baby boomer time bomb starts to explode in the 2020s and 2030s. And uh, that's a forecast that Peter Peterson, for example, who was, used to be was Commerce Secretary, is by no means a libertarian or an alarmist. He mm-hmm. wrote several books about that. And uh, as I like to point out to uh, readers who, uh, who, who, who tell me about this, who, who believe that I'm taking the side of the Republicans, that the, uh, the best politicians on the subject were, were Bill Clinton in his last two years in office, uh, talking about uh, the, the need... Uh, to care or to worry about the baby boomer time bomb, and indeed, uh, I hate to say it, but Al Gore talked about the locked box, that you mm-hmm. can't keep piling up these deficits and debt if you're going to pay for uh, the baby boomer time bomb. 
I like to point this out to uh, readers who think I'm a Republican that uh, that in fact uh, a couple of Democratic politicians, at least in certain ways, walked the walk. Even I've uh, talked the talk, I should say, not walked the walk. Talked the talk about this uh, uh, this issue. So I've been making fairly easy forecasts, but even those uh, you get some pushback from uh, people who are in denial about uh, what's going to happen. Well, you mentioned in one of the articles I'd like to yeah. just get you to talk briefly yeah. about uh, uh, from the Economic Beat column a, a few a couple of weeks ago was uh, one of the costliest Ponzi schemes ever. And you yeah. saw, talk about how Paul Samuelson, the famous textbook writer, of course, talked about Social Security as a Ponzi scheme that works. Yeah. Well, now you just mentioned, Gene, we've got this aging baby boomer situation. The demographics clearly show uh, that this is probably a Ponzi scheme that's not a lot different than any other Ponzi scheme, right? Absolutely. Uh, uh, the, the what I uh, pointed out, in fact, I, you know, I had a couple of interviews with Samuelson uh, while he was alive, and uh, he uh, he loved to talk about how he was whispering in John F. Kennedy's ear. He uh, he was like so many economists, uh, a brilliant person, brilliant mind, but his mind was basically warped by, by uh, what I regard as the two real problems with mainstream economics. Number one, uh, they want to sit at the tables of power. Uh, John Maynard Keynes uh, started that tradition, so that distorts their thinking. And number two, they want to pretend that economics is like physics, uh, when it's actually not. It's about human action. So Samuelson uh, enjoyed talking in this bravura fashion about a Ponzi scheme that works uh, because he didn't have a clue about the capacity of the political system to keep uh, spending money. Uh, that that's how politicians get elected. I I I, I contrasted Samuelson with James Buchanan, uh, also a Nobel Prize winner who died in January of this year, who, who uh, whose theory was politics without romance, who anticipated that uh, that we would move uh, toward a system of uh, of perennial deficits and that eventually the politicians who are essentially uh, Ponzi schemers. Uh, and that isn't, uh, that isn't necessarily saying that they're evil people. They're just people with a limited perspective who serve a certain role. Uh, they know that they can get reelected uh, by spending money in the short run. And uh, they've uh, discovered uh, with uh, economists like uh, John Maynard Keynes, uh, starting the tradition to Paul Samuelson whispering in their ear that deficits are really not a problem. Um, that indeed, uh, when the government runs deficits, it stimulates the economy. So that unleashes uh, the politicians. And so when Samuelson wrote about uh, Social Security being a Ponzi scheme that worked, that was in 1967. Um, mm-hmm. He didn't. He, at that point, he might have been only dimly aware that just two years before Medicare and Medicaid had become law. Um, that's a, a further uh, provision on the part of government for elder care. And then uh, a number of years later, uh, George W. Bush would sign yet another Medicare provision into law, the drug benefit. Obama would come along, sign another benefit into law, and they get a lot of political mileage from this. But essentially, they're engaging in Ponzi activity because mm-hmm. they're making pro- financial promises uh, that won't be met, that can't be met, but uh, the fallout is not going to occur until years after they've left office, indeed perhaps years after they die. And so they don't have to worry about uh, the consequences. 
And so we essentially have a Ponzi scheme economy. And Mm -hmm. it's been dealt a bad hand because of the baby boomers, because of of the of of the demographic trend uh, that Mm -hmm. uh, right now 14% of the population are 65 and over. uh, By uh, by in about 15 years, it's going to rise to 20%. By 2029, all the baby boomers are going to be older than 65. And so the dependency ratio, the ratio between uh, the number of people working and the number of people not working is going to become increasingly unfavorable uh, to the point that, as projected again by uh, institutions that are hardly libertarian, the government's GAO, General Accountability Office, has made this projection. The Congressional Budget Office has, in fact, warned that uh, we could be another Greece in terms of suffering a fiscal crisis compared the Congressional Budget Office a couple of years ago uh, made a direct analogy with Greece uh, and, and Argentina and, and Ireland and uh, talked about uh, that uh, the, the real risk that the government debt will go so, so high that uh, we could have a major uh, crash in the capital markets. And now all of those things, again, are... are are, are not just uh, people with real vision like Schiff and others and Ron Paul talking. Uh, this is fairly mainstream insight uh, that uh, that I'm simply marshalling to talk about the risks uh, over the next 20, 25 years. Mm-hmm. And Gene, you mentioned human action, which of yeah. course uh, Ludwig von Mises yeah. is the name of his famous book. Mm-hmm. And this is really the difference between the Keynesians who think that you can predict human behavior with mathematical models uh, mm-hmm. uh, as opposed to the libertarians, to the to the Austrian school of economics who that believe you cannot do so. So for example, yeah. mm-hmm. in a Ponzi scheme, you would need to have more people continuing to pay in, right? You have to keep mm-hmm. getting people suckered into the system mm-hmm. to keep it going. When Bernie Madoff and the rest of them went down was when you couldn't keep new suckers coming in. Well, they're having a problem getting new suckers to come into the American economy right now, paying into this Ponzi scheme uh, retirement system because of the demographics. And we stopped reproducing as we had been. The baby boomers were, you know, there were a lot of us. Uh, and and now the baby boomers, though, are not having three, four, five, six kids like our mm-hmm. parents did. And so there's, and I guess, unless we bring in people from other countries, uh, but, it, but even here, Gene, I understand that, for example, the immigration from Mexico and Latin American countries, because things aren't all that great here, is not what it used to be. So we may not even be able to account to count on new workers coming in to pay into the system. If our economy isn't booming, we don't have jobs for them, and that, you know, we won't have the income. Uh, to forward to the government to continue the Ponzi scheme, right? So what's going to happen? Yeah. Are we going to well, print you know, money? But I, I want to just I want to I, I want to pick up on on the way you've put it and to say, of course, uh-huh. it's a fair summary of of the way I've been putting it. Although uh, the the larger perspective really is that sooner or later uh, the Ponzi scheme would have bust. Uh, mm-hmm. and, uh, it's just that you know that clearly politicians run their Ponzi schemes over many years and uh, and and uh, and they and they rely. On, on good luck, uh, but sometimes they have a little bad, a bit of bad luck. The bad luck really is the baby boomer time bomb that you've spoken of. But uh, but but if there weren't a baby boomer time bomb, then the Ponzi scheme uh, that politicians build, because again they won't stop, as Buchanan points out, uh, if they can 
they won't stop pushing against uh, revenues to the point where they're mortgaging our financial future almost completely. It's just become an easy way uh, to forecast that the Ponzi game is going to be up because of the baby boomer time bomb. But if mm-hmm. it weren't going to, but if it weren't for the baby boomers, so so it would have happened in twenty, thirty years. It would have happened uh-huh. at some point. But in any case, that's one perspective. But uh, but basically, uh, we are facing and we are in a situation where the next 10 years in terms of the way the green eye shade budgeteers and wonks look at it do not look so terrible the new york times uh, has been constantly pointing out that uh they in their view that the obama administration has more or less f- fixed the problem it doesn't look as though the debt to gdp ratio is necessarily going to take off in 10 years and yet the again the congressional budget office which is hardly radical uh, keeps pointing out in their recent uh 10 year study that the next 10 years are misleading that the debt is going to soar uh beyond 10 years um, and so uh, there's a there's a kind of an ostrich effect a constant faith that government knows what it's doing and that it's going to deliver uh, the, the the concern is not so much for the next 10 years of the relative calm before the coming storm uh and uh, we have to do something about it now in terms of what is likely to happen in a sense i'm in a sort of ironic optimist i don't know that the uh, the, that the unsustainable medical care system is really uh going to happen i i see through as a matter of fact through the research of a close relative of mine who's actually my son at reason uh, who's done a lot of work on uh medical tourism on uh free market medicine on the on on uh, the tendency now of of uh, surgeons and others to turn their back on this bureaucratized system um I'm really wondering whether uh, the medical care system run by the government is going to start unraveling. Uh, and to some degree, you know, you've already found it in other countries. In England, you essentially really do have a two-tier medical system. People mm-hmm. who can afford it don't use the national health system. They use the private system. And if that happens, if that is happening in countries like England, there's all the more reason to believe that it's going to happen uh, tenfold in a feisty country like this one. So I really, I, I, my hope, by the way, is that there will be a natural evolution uh, toward free market alternatives, Me- mm-hmm. possibly medical centers on Indian reservations that are exempt from the federal laws, medical centers on, they, they do operations on Navy ships, there's a business called Surgicruise. People, uh, the, the, the coastal areas of this country are obviously have huge concentrations of population. So I'm wondering what is really going to happen. But mm-hmm. the only point I made is that if we're going to continue at, uh, uh, in the way we have, that if we're going to continue in the delusion that the government should run our medical care system and our retirement system uh, for uh, the baby boomers, then the gov- then the budget is going to go bust, and those promises are not going to be kept. Yeah, well, Gene, you are the uh, the ever present optimist on this show. Thank you for that, because we do need to have. We've had uh, uh, one or two of these free market optimists come along now and then, and, and you know, just to keep our sanity, it's good to have someone like you well, talking like that. Okay. <laughs> But, but also, sometimes you don't need pessimists. But go ahead. Yes. Well, yeah. Well, I, I think you need realists, and I think that okay. you are one of those. And so, uh, you most recently, we've got about four minutes. My engineer sure. tells me here. But more, most recently, you talked about the sequester. Yeah. This is the title of your, uh, I think, your March fourth piece, your yeah. latest piece yeah. in Bar- Barons. The sequester: more opportunity than danger. Yeah. 
Mm-hmm. That sounds like an optimistic uh, position well, as well. Talk yeah, to us about that. Pushing a little bit. You know, it, it was an opportunity uh, only in, I mean, it's no danger to speak of, uh, but it's an opportunity only uh, in the sense that, you know, let's have, let's have, uh, you know, uh, uh, 50 sequesters, you know, let's have these mandated cuts. And uh, as I, as I began the piece by pointing out, uh, if, if Uncle Sam Inc., you know, it were, were a publicly traded company, its planned downsizing would be greeted by a mixture of scorn and indifference uh, on Wall Street, because in fact, all that's really happening is that government revenues are going to be, government spending rather, government outlays are going to be essentially flat this year compared to the year before. But I regard that as progress. Thank God for small favors. If we have more such sequesters, then uh, then, then, then maybe uh, we'll begin to move in the right direction. But certainly to have federal spending, federal outlays flat, barely growing at all uh, in 2013 is an enormous amount of progress given uh, all the uh, ground we've lost over the last 10 years. Well, you pointed out in that article that, you know, there's, in spite of all of the, the cries of, uh, of devastation and warning from the president and others that, in fact, uh, it's a very little, I mean, if any, it's basically flat. It's not as mm-hmm. if we're going to be cutting spending yeah. to any great extent, right? Yes, and uh, I then I then try to use the, the the fiscal math of those who believe in the potency of fiscal policy, and pointed out that the projections are that the deficit is going to go from five uh, percent of uh, current dollar GDP to three point three percent. That's a that's a fiscal tightening according to the foreign po- uh, the, the the fiscal policy of fundamentalists of one point seven points, and I looked at historical precedent. And found that it could go either way. That there's really no relationship between a 1.7 uh, percent tightening in the deficit and any results for the economy. So mm-hmm. uh, you have to scratch hard in order to be concerned. Uh, there's doubt. There's a million jobs destroyed every month in the private sector. It's a profit and loss system. There mm-hmm. have to be. There are companies that are downsizing. Companies that are layoffs. This is just. Government downsizing, uh, and it's uh, it's not uh, not not that huge, and so the 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 economy ought to be able to absorb it. Certainly, on the basis of past history, it has no trouble doing so. Well, I know you point out uh, uh, in the article that in 1987 there was a 1.7 percent cut, and the economy grew. Uh, it actually picked up in 1956. The same thing took place. 1954, you pointed out that the you know the uh, the Keynesians had it their way, but in fact uh, that there was also an interest rate increase at that time. I think that might have been just as responsible. So tightening, yeah. So you have to really scratch hard if you just look at the record uh, to find any unfortunate results. Uh, Nobody likes to lose their job. Somebody in defense is going to lose his job. Uh, Those probably are people who are fairly able. to get other jobs, uh, it's uh, it 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 uh, th- th- there is uh, th- th- there are jobs created every month. It's it's hard to imagine that we're talking about a disaster and All right. we are trying to avert a disaster over the next. All right, Gene. Unfortunately, years. we're out of time. Lots sure. more to talk to you about. I wanted to yeah. talk to you about Alan Blinder's book, but we won't have time this week. Another time soon, I hope. Thank you very much, Gene, for being with us. Folks, don't go away. After our break, we're going to be talking to Rick Rule, who will have some ideas about investing in this uh, very difficult climate for junior resource stocks. Don't go away. We'll be right back with Rick Rule.
Eurasian Minerals is a prospect generation exploration and royalty company focused on the discovery of gold and copper. The company currently has over 140 properties on four continents. Our joint venture partners have committed to spend over $15 million on Eurasian Minerals projects in 2012. The company maintains a tight share structure, a low cash burn rate, and holds $43 million in cash, creating value through discovery, growth, and royalties. Eurasian Minerals.